Well, good morning, church. Uh, thank you for our, our uh, break last week. My wife and I, Trisha, we went to uh, some friend's place just to, to take a break, and I was so tempted to bring a head of lettuce here this morning. Uh, Bobby's brilliance in artistry about uh, the lettuce, let us do this and that, and so anyway, it was great to, to have that. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch last week. Um, no, it's, it's so good to be together. Trisha, uh, Trisha is not here this morning. Uh, she's actually in California. One of our daughters is doing their art, her senior art show, and so uh, Trisha's at work installing rocks on a wall. So uh, that's what she's doing. But I, I have to say to you, uh, really, there's no place I'd rather be. This morning... Two friends that are actually here now at this service uh, were texting about bucks walking by their stands. It was killing me. Because <laughs> I was sitting here at the age of 15. Ow! But I have to say, uh, I, this is a better stand. Uh, on a Sunday morning, there's no better stand to be in f- for me. I love what Bobby talked about. Yeah, you could clap. It's, it's for you, too. And there's, that's not to say there are other things to do, and I, I love to, to do other things. But I, there's something about gathering. And I loved Bobby's teaching on that, and, and hopefully we, we begin to, to bring that back into our discipline. I, I want to talk to you this morning about discipline. So I think it gets a, a bum rap. It's, it's gotten a, a bad reputation. You see, when we think of discipline, obviously, often it, it comes with this idea of, authority, uh, punishing, or giving some sort of um, price for a wrongdoing. It's like you've gone out of line, you're going to get disciplined. We think of authority, we think of maybe police officers, we think of maybe parents to children. Uh, In the New Testament, though, this word discipline uh, in the Greek is where we get the word gymnasium. Now, that may not be significance to you because you just think it's a building. No, to this word, the gymnasium word, actually gets translated into training or practice. And I know that as we think about what it means to go to a gym, that might already just bring like uh, aches and pains already to many. Uh, but what it meant back then, if you use this word, it was because you were in some sort of like Olympic Games training. And the word actually means to strip off all your clothes anything that's going to slow you down or encumber your athletic prowess. And so it meant for you to train unhindered, uh, not slowed down, take off everything so that it's just you and the practice. If you take this concept, this is exactly what Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy. Our our theme verse for this series has been... uh, out of 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, it says, and this is the, the voice, reject worldly fables. It, refuse old wives' tales. He, what he's talking about here is quit listening to what the world's saying because there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of chatter out there about what the world thinks Christians and, and people should be doing. He says, instead, train yourself, exercise yourself toward Godliness. I want to change the way you think about these disciplines. And often our series comes out of 
like it or not, out of uh, the teacher's kind of soul and my own wrestling. So why the authentic soul? Because, friends, when I wake up in the morning, there is nothing more that I want other than knowing I have a real, flourishing relationship with the Father inside of my life. There's a lot of effort and energy we could put into projecting what we want others to think about us. We all do it. Bobby talked about being hypocrites. We're, we struggle about peeling off the layers of projecting ourselves and looking better than we really are. But part of the reason we're naming this the authentic soul is because there is a deep longing in my spirit to know that every morning when I wake up, I know Jesus. And I know that I'm loved by him. It is in that context that we said then, what do authentic souls exercise? What is it that they're exercising and stripping off everything else and saying, these are the exercises that I'm going to be about? And those are things like reading. Those who have an authentic walk with the Father are reading their Bible. And, And they see it very different. They don't see it as obligation or duty. In fact, there's so much of, of Christendom today is wrapped around guilt and shame. And so, you know, I think people pick churches that, honestly, they don't want to feel guilt. And our agenda is not to make you feel any of those things. And God says, if you do any of those things out of guilt or shame, it doesn't count. I mean, in your Bible, it's going to say, if you're reading your Bible because you feel guilty, or you feel like you're not being right with God and you want to make it right by reading his book, it, it doesn't count you might as well put it aside. The the call to the disciplines, to the exercising, is a gift. I'm going to paint that picture in a minute. But we read, and those people who have an authentic relationship with God that are, are exercising another discipline, it's the one of prayer. They're talking to God. And they're, and they're, what a beautiful song There's no one like you, God. Just to get up in the morning and say, God, there's no one like you. All my hope is in you. All my trust is in you. That's that's a heart that's that's living authentically with the Father. So it's reading and it's praying, and then it moves into the obedience factor, right? Because if you read your Bible enough and you're in dialogue with God, the, the Holy Spirit factor comes in, and sometimes that doesn't feel good because it's i got to stop. I have to stop these activities in my life. I'm exercising the wrong things. And then it's calling you to move toward him, to draw near back to him. And you can just hear the, the scripture and the prayer start to work together and, and you have a conviction. The Holy Spirit creates a, a discontent in your life. Those are three. And then Bobby got, bought the fourth in, which is to Gather. An authentic soul longs to gather with other believers. It's not to gather out of obligation. It's not because because Bobby preached a message and I better punch the car, they better see me. It's a longing to gather with people that love Jesus. I love singing together. I really do. I love hearing you. I've told you before, there's something about music and hearing the anthem of people giving up their, their lungs to God. Uh, crazy as, as it sounds, that, I, and maybe I'm a bit demented, could be, actually is, I am demented, sorry. 
But at, at the, the Packer game, when they announce, and I remember there's something about when they announce these guys, and there's, an, there's just that, that crowd. And I'm realizing it's not because I'm like, I'm so glad they're cheering for him. It's, I think I'm moved to hearing people worship. There's something about when people unashamedly generate energy and that, that comes out of their lungs and they're crying out. So then when I hear people sing worship songs together, oh, I'm on a complete bromance, which is, is completely legal. Um, it's um, with one of the worship leaders, uh, Phil Wickham, and so uh, the Zollers took us to that concert, and I've heard him before, but I bought his new sing-along songs. I'm a wreck. I seriously am listening to that. My girls think I'm nuts. And Bobby, poor Bobby, I like, we should sing that song. We should sing that song. So he gets like these, whenever, whatever I'm really happy with at that time, that's what he's getting. Um, but I am moved to hear songs like Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to shout your name, O Lord. Ah, I love to gather. I need you. I hope you understand. I need you maybe more than you need me. So we have talked about reading and praying and obeying and gathering, and now comes this last installment, give, right? And, and I hate this one statement. I hate it. I hate when I hear people say, oh, I don't go to church because all they want is your money. Can I just illuminate everybody? The whole world wants your money. <laughs> the whole world looking for your money. This is probably the only place that isn't looking for your money. He doesn't need your money. He's looking for your heart. And so when we talk about give, the offering is already done, so you're safe. It isn't about your money. It's about a heart issue. When I have other pastors talk to me about giving, I go, it's not a giving issue. It's a heart issue. It's an authentic soul issue. Because if you look at giving as guilt and obligation, then it doesn't count. It's an expression of worship to God. I want to paint that picture for you, but I want you to, I want you to do something here in a moment. Any of you had, I call them freak out moments, where... Like, when I was in the Marine Corps, I'd sleep under the stars, and so I'd look out at the, the stars at night, and there was no light, so you could see the stars, amazing. And no matter where in the world, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Sierras, I'd be in all these different locations, it was the same galaxies. And I'm just, I was in awe, and then I started freaking out, thinking, there is no end, there is no end, there is no end, there is no end. That was like wigging me out. I, was, I had to stop thinking about it. It's overwhelming. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. There's nothing. And he fabricates every cell. Everything in the earth is created and designed by God. And then he shapes you. He shapes you and knows exactly, physically, what your bodies will need and what they need to stay away from. He knows what your mind can do and what it'll need and what it doesn't need. He knows what your hearts need. He starts to just go through the whole list of all of what you need. 
He knows exactly everything that's perfect and right for you and with you. Now open your eyes. In this present moment, if you believe that, there should be a covering of sense of awe. And if you don't, there's probably something you have to go back to, but there's a sense that God knows everything about you. He knows what's right for you. And so in the beginning, God creates the heavens and earth. We know that he creates and shapes us. Every cell, every fiber, everything about us, he is shaped. He is the creator. He knows what's best. But in Genesis chapter 2, as we know, what happens? We think differently. And it's the pride of man. It's the pride of who we are. We say, you know what? I think we know better, God. Yeah, you designed everything, but I, I don't, don't think you really know. And so sin enters and creates a separation. That sin infect, infected every one of us with a sin nature. And this is why none of us have to send our kids to naughty school, right? Right? Your kids have figured that out. All of us have figured that out. We have a downward spiral that naturally comes without exercise that we will what? we will move into sinful behaviors. It's the shadows. It's the shadows in our soul that we don't address, and they naturally begin to come. And so we are pulled by this sinful way into what we're not supposed to be, but by the flesh, by the world, and by the devil, Satan himself. I love thinking about props, and so one of the thoughts I had, but I just thought it was going to be too much, I wanted to have a mound of chocolate chip cookies and talk about the flesh. Now, last night, my, uh, my two uh, daughters that are in high school, we all went to a wedding that I did. And this was a huge wedding. Two massive tents, almost 300 people were there. But can I tell you, they erected an altar there that was probably the size of the stage. It was in the middle of the tent, and it had amazing sugar on it. It had some of the best desserts I think mankind has ever seen. And it was amazing because you'd walk by. Now, they were serving prime rib. You'd think that would steer. Oh, no. It was people walking by and just glued. They were hooked. There was a pole. Uh, so my two daughters, they were not impressed with dinner. They were like, when can we go to the altar? When can we worship at the altar of sugar? And so... I cut one loose and said, just go do it. No one else is going up there. And sure enough, she did. Everybody started going after. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to miss out. The flesh pulls. Your bodies long to be fed, not just with food, but with power, with greed, with control, with justice. You think of all the things, revenge. You think of all the things that start to pull us. It's our flesh. And that's part of it. There's also the world. It's the world's messages, because the world's telling you what to do, right? And how to be a certain way. And the scripture says, don't listen to the world. And then there's the evil one. We should probably do a message on Satan. Friends, can I tell you, Satan is an angel of light. You will not see Satan showing up in a hockey mask and a chainsaw, all right? It's not going to be that obvious. I think we get this impression that that's, he shows up and, oh, there he is. No, he fools, he deceives, he destroys. And so I hear people that are walking away from God 
with the flesh and the world and being pulled by the evil one and finding all of a sudden their life a ruin. This is the process, but then, this is where exercise, the word that means gymnasium, to strip off everything, Paul will say, discipline yourself. It means, I'm going to give, God says, I'm going to give you some gifts. It's through Christ that you're going to get these gifts. There's no other way, but these gifts I'm going to give to you, and they're, they're exercises to draw near. And they're a quiet voice. That's why I have it fading in, because it's a quiet voice. It's not God saying, you will do these things. It's a quiet voice of reading. I've left you a book. A book that draws you near. Read it. I've left you the gift of prayer. Can you talk with me? Let's speak, and you'll draw near. I left you this, this great gift of obedience. And when you, you're obedient, you're going to find a, a newfound blessing and pleasure in your life. It's right. It's who I created you to be. Oh, I'm going I'm to give you gathering. I'm going to set it up in a way that you get so much from being together. And then he leaves this one called giving. I'm going to leave you a gift. And it's called this giving grace that when it starts to infect your heart and soul, you'll start to draw near and it will change who you are. Because I know that the world's going to tell you exactly the opposite. It is in this way we approach the disciplines. The disciplines aren't badges for you to wear around like we can do so often about how good we are or what we stay away from. No, the disciplines are gifts to draw us near to God. And so they're subtle. And churches, as much as we'd like to mandate them, everybody has to do this and it'll, it'll fix everybody. Again, the scripture is clear. If you do it out of obligation or a sense of being strong-armed, it, it doesn't count. It says, let us draw near to God, not because we have to, because we can. What, what a beautiful picture of a God that loves us because we can. Hear, gather, give, worship, read, pray, fellowship. These are all disciplines that are gifts to us. The problem is we've heard so much of the voice and I think so much has clouded our lives we have reduced our view of God to a greedy, rule-making tax collector that keeps upsetting our happiness and asking for more. We must seek more than a bigger picture of God and pray that we are consumed with the overwhelming presence of the Creator right this moment. That's why I had you close your eyes. I think you need a freak-out moment. If you really believe that God's created everything in this universe, that He is in control then how is it that we can move away from how he's called us to live? How is it that we don't embrace the gifts? We need a bigger picture of God. God does not need our help with finances. He is looking for hearts. That is what he wants. And so as a teacher, and as, as we kind of program what we're going to do and the songs we're going to sing, sometimes it's discouraging. Can I just tell you, and this is not guilt to you, because we realize, I can't change a heart. 
I can teach. I can teach for a few hours if you'd like me to. I love doing that. But I can't change hearts, and it's God calling you and you receiving that gift. We can guilt people. We can make people do things out of guilt and shame. That's kind of easy, actually. But God is not looking for us to be guilted into drawing near. He's longing for us in a loving relationship to do that. So we are getting into this give area, and so let me kind of finish now with hitting to Matthew chapter 6. Trish and I have been kind of employing a new exercise in our life, and that is um, studying the scripture together. Now, it sounds crazy, we've been married 25 years. We've done that a little bit, but not like as a regular discipline, and it's uh, it's interesting, it's been good for us, and we started with Matthew, and so we're with no agenda to teach Matthew, but just to, to study it together. But interesting in Matthew, if you read beyond just the, the birth of Christ, about chapter 4, Jesus is tempted, he's baptized by John the Baptist, and then he goes into this temptation, the preparation for ministry, then he starts picking disciples. Now mind you, he's picking disciples, and here's what he's saying, quit your job. And follow me. Now, tomorrow morning, if I said, all right, here's the instruction, everybody tomorrow is to quit your job and just follow me here at Green Bay Community Church, what might be some of the things you're starting to freak out over? Really, I I want you to get context for disciples that are much like us. They weren't perfect people. They They had jobs. They quit their job, and then Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and then Matthew 6. I think the theologians chaptered it here because there's a switch. I want you to look at this switch. It's about giving, and I want to give you a little bit of backdrop before we dive into 6. Why is it so hard for us to talk about giving, and why is it such a struggle in this today's culture? Just a couple stats. According to Holy Gospel by World Vision, President Richard Stearns, he just stepped down. 8% of Christians in the world give. Only 8%. On the average, American churches give just about 2.5% of their income, almost 2.6% of their income. Uh, Giving was higher in the Great Depression. Households of committed Christians making less than 12.5 a year give away about 7%. That's more than most people until people make about $90,000. I'm saying that because I'm, we're going to enter into Matthew 6 here, and Jesus is going to kind of throw down about how we should, I believe, perceive this whole idea of giving. Matthew 6, he says this. He starts out and says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, uh, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Motive matters. In any of the disciplines that we've spoken about, these exercises of an authentic soul, that your motive matters. If it's out of obligation, if it's out of guilt, it's out of shame, God does not want that. It says all throughout our Bibles, listen, I hate your festivals. I hate hate your sacrifices. He doesn't like their motive. God cares about our motive enough to tell these disciples, listen, If you're doing this to be looking good amongst other people, whatever of this they're going to give you, congratulations, that's who you're getting. That's it. So he calls everyone towards an internal and authentic soul perspective. 
out of your heart of hearts, how are you going to be motivated? What's that motive inside? And this is where he heads. His first instruction is to give. Mind you, disciples that have quit their jobs. And he says, so when you give. What's it implying? Not if. Not, hey, listen, when God leads you, when you evaluate, when you have enough, he says, when you give. These disciples don't have jobs. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, when they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done will reward you. Okay, let's just put aside the reward there that God could give. What is God saying about this? What is Jesus implying? Right now, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots, four different groups of religious leaders of the time, they are making sure everybody sees them doing the disciplines. Hey, I'm giving right now. I'm giving right now. And they drop it in. Uh, I got from John Dixon, who will be here in a couple weeks. One of the first times he's here, he gave me 14th, uh, right around 14th century denarii. Denarii is a day's wage from the Roman Empire. So you remember the story where Jesus talks about the widow's mite. Now, this denarii is about a day's wage. If you made $15 an hour um, and you worked for eight hours of the day, this would represent that. The widow's mite, remember, she drops it in, and he says this gift is, is a great sacrifice. It's, it's a great of a gift of faith, of love, of worship to me. You know what that was worth compared to this? One sixty-fourth, about $1.88 if you made $15. $1.88. And her gift mattered. You see, when we give, God wants to make sure it's not a public matter. It's about you and the inner part of your heart. And the amount isn't the issue. It's the heart of the issue. This is really important for you to understand because so much about Giving can be about the amounts. And I know that as we move into different projects at our church, and you know, some churches label things of, guess what, this person gave a lot of money. I love the heartbeat of how our church is giving, of it's just a worship to God. It doesn't mean people can't know. It doesn't mean you have to hide. It just means make sure your motive is that everybody doesn't know. You're not trying to broadcast what you're doing. Why do we give? I want to stop here for a moment and just pack, kind of unpack why, why do we give? What are the reasons God gives us to, to give? First, it's a proclamation of your worship. You see, he's going to say in this text, you can't serve two masters. And he says, money and God. Again, this is not about money. It's that God knew as he designed us and crafted us there would be a, a hook into a lot of us. And he knew America was going to do what it was going to do. He knew capitalism was going to come. He knew what was going to be in this point in time. And he said, it's going to have a hook on you. And people are going to pursue wealth more than me. I know this. It's a proclamation of who you worship. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Some of you ask, why do we call our offering time first fruits? Because in Israel, they had uh, their crops would grow or whatever kind of business they did, they would take off the top 
10%. It was called a tithe. Now, in the New Testament, tithe isn't necessarily as relevant because I believe God's saying, just do something. What's the expression of your worship? So it's not limited to 10, but he says, do what you can. But the reason it's first is because there's a proclamation of what? If I give 10% and then I pay the bills, what's that saying? Who am I trusting? Not my bank account. I'm trusting that God, because of my offering of worship, will take care of my daily needs. Honor him with the first fruits of all of your crops. And then he begins to bless. He starts to do that. Why we give this way, it starts to give that proclamation, but then it also starts to cultivate contentment. The Bible is full of verses like this. This is Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. This doesn't mean you're going to have adversity, but it shifts. When, my, when I'm not worshiping the things, the treasures that I have, and I'm learning to give it away as a discipline, as an exercise of my life, and I'm saying, God, you first, whatever I get is a blessing, but you're my contentment. God is my contentment. This is why Paul says, I've learned to be content when I have nothing. I've learned to be content when I'm being beaten in prison. I've learned to be content when I have a lot. He says it in all ways. This doesn't mean you be guilty about us having. It just means, what's the measure of my contentment? It starts, giving starts to cultivate that because it releases us from the stuff. Trish and I have stuff. I, every time I go to the attic, it's like they're bunnies. More stuff appears. And then it's like, where did this come from? And you realize, we bought that. Don't you get it? We, we start to consume. It's a proclamation of our worship. It cultivates contentment, but it also brings blessing to others. Our Bibles are full, full of so many passages of God's heart for the people who do not have. Now, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, the way they operated taking care of the poor, because do you know that just the people that are, are professing Christians in our world today, there is enough made in our incomes to not only provide for what we have, but eliminate poverty in the world. Did you know that? There is enough with just Christians on this planet that we could eliminate poverty. I'm going to go speaking at the American Leprosy Missions this next weekend. I will not be here. Uh, I have this great privilege to do devotions, and it's uh, their fundraising event. I'm teaching in the morning. They are a 100-year-old organization almost ready now to eliminate leprosy, the disease of leprosy in the world. It still exists. Do you know we could eliminate poverty? How do they did that, though? They did it through gleaning. And they did it for, of giving the extra that they had. And so uh, they give a tithe to God, but then they had produce. And so they'd go through their gardens, but they wouldn't go through a second or third time. Anything that dropped or was left, they said, let the poor come and get. And so what we find is they were caring for those who were hurting. The, the Bible says this, says Proverbs 31. Speak out on behalf of those who have no voice and defend all those who have been passed over. Open your mouth, judge fairly, and stand up for the rights of the afflicted or poor. Guys, that's why we are passionate as a church to move that in the five and a half years, we have moved from about 1.3% of our first fruits giving to go outside of this building. We're at 10% this year. And we're going to give 
probably around $200,000 plus outside of this building for poverty, for clothing, for food. It's why I feed my starving children. They're at, we had eight other churches. We raised $95,000. We're about $5,000 short to, to finish that out. We packed almost a half a million meals. Why? We take this serious. No matter what's given, we take that serious. First John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity, pity on them, they don't know me. Christians that don't have a compassion. You know the word compassion actually means a feeling from the bowels. It says that Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion. It meant that from the innermost part, that's where the Jews felt like a leading, a compassionate, like you, you felt mercy and you, you came to God. It, they came out of the most inner part of you. It says that if you don't have that, you, you probably don't know me because God puts that in. It says, dear children, let us not love with just words. Let's just not talk about this. Let's do something about it. Let's do something about it. Uh, for lack of just creating an advertisement, but really we're doing go boxes today. Why do we do that? Because there are actually people in our city that don't have a way to give gifts and are struggling for jackets and shoes. And so we do these boxes. Every year we've been doing this. This is like our fifth year for this store. We work with the Giving Tree, the Howard Swamico School District, nonprofit that feeds our, uh, with groceries uh, about a little over 300 families a month. And, and it's a way for us to embrace this idea of let's not look over people just because they live in Howard. You know, just because we're, we're, we're in a you know, blue-collar and, and white-collar culture, let's not look over that. We, we want to look beyond that into other, other parts of Green Bay and other parts of our country and world, but this is something we do. Last but not least, why give is because it provides for your church leaders. Now, just get, let me give you a perspective about this. What would happen, there were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. Eleven of them were to work and do crops and do all this stuff. The twelfth one was the Levites. They were the priests. They were the ones that took care of the temple. How God worked this was the first fruits gift in worship to God came and the Levites lived on that because they were serving the Lord. God sets this up this way. This is how God has set up the church. So what you can imagine when I hear, I don't want to go to church because all they ask for is money is, oh man, the whole world is trying to market to get your dollars. God doesn't want your money that way. God has set up a beautiful picture about taking care of those who are trying to serve you. Now, Paul will talk about the elders uh, this way in 1 Timothy. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those who work as preaching and teaching. Again, nothing will change in my salary because of today. I just want you to know that. Just stay comforted. It's not doubling. Um, that'd be nice, but it's not. Uh, that, that isn't the reason I'm sharing this with you. I want you to know how the church works. I think some people have this impression that we have a business. That, you know, God builds a church building and there's a money tree in a secret room that nobody knows about that all of a sudden we just, it just produces. Whoa. This is how the church works. This is how he set it up. He says the elders and those who are teaching and preaching, this is how they're getting and making a living. The scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out in the grain. 
That means don't put a muzzle on an ox that's pulling a plow for you. Let them eat as they go. Now, in our structure today in modern culture, we rarely pay elders. There are some churches that do that. Most will call their staff uh, deacons or elders. And so that at our church, we have elders that are volunteers, but our staff really biblically could be called deacons because they are dispensing and doing the work of the ministry of preaching and teaching. That is how we do it. That is how we do it. Now, we're trying to always, trying to figure out the percentages and how do we do this better. We take serious stewardship. I'm going to mention that in a moment. But let me show you this one. Malachi says, will someone steal from God? Yet you're always stealing from me. He's talking about the Israelites. You self-centered people still ask, how have we stolen from you? In tithes and the offerings. Now a tithe is the first tenth, the first fruit. An offering is over and above. Hey God, we're just so, want again, we want to give more. Paul talks about this, calls, it's called, the, the Greek word means hilarious giving. It means like you sit with your financial planner and, the, and they freak out. That's called hilarious giving. Paul talks about this. He says, in tithes and offerings you have not given me as the law requires. You are cursed with a curse for the entire nation. You are stealing from me. Now, why is he saying this? Because he's saying this is to feed the Levites, those who are doing the work of ministry. I'm going to say this. I'm not guilty. I'm going to say what I believe very true about modern church in our world today. I think there are many people sitting in churches receiving the gift of ministry and stealing from God. Just as much as we would feel the weight as stewarding the money that you're giving to take care of that, I think there are many attenders today in our culture that do not honor God and those who are serving them, they steal from God. That's a very strong statement. I I hope and pray you don't take that personal But if you look at our world, only 8% are doing that. It's no wonder churches are shutting down. Now, there is some churches that spend irresponsibly. irresponsibly. I believe that we're doing the best we can. Not perfect, but not to do that. I think some do steal from God. Now, at our church, we have different positions. One of the positions that we have uh, taken a long time to hire because getting this right is super important to us. Uh, we have a, uh, had a role that Ellery Beek had for a while, but finance director, and we just we felt like that has to be an important role. It's an important role. Ellery filled that. We just knew we couldn't just hire anybody. And we take it because it's the stewardship of God's money. Now, granted, there are things that pop up. Guys, we had to spend 51 grand on door locks and heating and air conditioning. No one wants to spend that. It depleted a lot of our cash. We're praying and trusting that God's going to replenish that. That's all we can do. We can't sell more widgets, right? We can't ask people to work overtime and earn more money. It just doesn't work that way. It's a prayer that God will be providing. But I want to introduce to you our hires. They've been here for a few weeks now. Uh, It's Mark and Christine Beasley. Will you guys welcome them? They're our new finance director. Mark is... Hi, guys. So uh, Mark and Christine have come to us. Uh, longer story, they have a video. We, we did an interview, so it's online right now, and you can watch that, and I'll, I'll have them unpack that because uh, they, they had this great Sound of Music meeting that I think this, I, I keep saying that. 
Uh, Christine's parents were ministries from Austria. Well, they're from Sheboygan, but we're in Austria for a lot of years. And their meeting is really cool. So Mark's been in Germany. They've been in Germany for quite a few years. Uh, but I'm excited to hear about why you're excited to be here, I think, from both of you. What is it that you're excited about being with us and even taking this role, which is pretty weighty? Yeah, it is. And uh, first of all, um, I'm really excited to see how God's going to work through me, through us here at Community Church. Um, I've actually been in Germany for 32 years serving the U.S. military. I've been working with Bank of America, the uh, military banking program. And I've also been working in church ministries for over 20 years um, voluntarily. So about two years ago, we saw that... Um, um, our mother-in-law wasn't doing well, and our children were struggling in the German schools. We prayed about it, and we sent Christine to the States here to Sheboygan, and I was left behind. So for two years, you know, God is gracefully preparing our situation. Um, and I was actually interviewing with banks here in Wisconsin until I found out in April about this job here. And God just spun me around, and I'm just so excited to be here. Christine, why are you excited to be here? I'm just, first of all, excited that Mark is here. We've been separated for two years, and that was really difficult. Separated, but because of geography, right? Because, yeah, yeah. yes. Just, just to clarify. Because, of, yes. Not like separated, he no. did bad things. <laughs> we did a lot of FaceTiming okay. and Skyping, yeah. and yeah. We love each other dearly. <laughs> yeah. So what a privilege to have you. So what is it in your heart of hearts that you guys are excited mm -hmm. by? I know you're still living in Sheboygan, praying for a home here in Howard. Because you have how many kids? We have three kids, um, 13, 15, and uh, I'm sorry, 16 and 18. And our Jessica is a senior this year, so we're letting her finish out in Sheboygan, and then we're looking for a house here um, early summer. Awesome. So, yeah, and just really excited to serve here, um, especially with my father being a pastor. I've always yeah. been into ministry, and so we're just excited to see how God is going to use us here in, in this church. Can you be praying for this couple? Because it's, it's a weighty responsibility, not just with their family, but also as Mark's doing this job. And then let's thank them, because uh, they're a part of our family now. Thanks, guys. So now Jesus says, you're going to give. Uh, and he says, you're going to give to the needy. And I've given you a bunch of reasons. But I think for some, Jesus knew that there may need to be a reset. And so he now goes into this progression. He says, now when you pray, not if you do, but when you do. It's interesting because he says, again, make that an inner, authentic part of what you do as a practice, as an exercise. He says, close the door and do that. But then he goes into how you ask him. But look at this prayer that could be a resetting prayer. Because if you're struggling about moving away from the treasure, might you have to re-pray this breath prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Talk about a, a resetting of what is real. Hallowed be your name. Your name is great. Your kingdom come, your will be done as earth as it is heaven. Give me today what I need. It's once again, I think he knew that these disciples needed to get back to that. Not worry about the treasure. Just begin to give and trust God. Now, I think this is the, probably the biggest area of concern for me at our church is our prayer journey. It's why I keep pushing it. And so, I have two things on the stage that I'm just going to call you out if you want it. 
I'm going to challenge. I already did the first service, and 50 of them were taken. I don't know how I'm paying for these, but people are already stepping up and trying to pay for the books. I am passing on 100 books both services. The goal is it's a 40-day prayer challenge. You take it, you write your name, and you do the 40 days, and then you hand it to somebody for 40 days, and that, in a year's time, nine people will go through it. And then maybe we have this cool service where we have 100 books that have nine names in them. Think about that that have done a prayer journey. And I think it's going to change a little bit of our perspective about prayer. But some of you aren't convinced, uh, and so I've printed at least 250 verses about money. Listen, it's like you, you get bludgeoned when you start working through the Bible and thinking it doesn't talk about that. It does. So right now, if you're feeling led that you want to begin prayer, or you need more, will you just come out of your seat right now and you want to take that challenge? Just take the book. That's right now. It's, it is this response. Come up out of your seat and get a book. Don't be bashful. And you want to begin that journey of prayer. I know many of us need to begin to do that. Maybe you need the verses. There's about 50 of those sheets. We'll post that on our website. But this is for you to take that journey. And maybe it's just an exercise that you begin to do and help even lead other people to. So as they're taking those, I want to move to this last couple parts. Jesus then says, when you fast. What is fast? It means stop doing something that you normally do. Stop using something that you normally use. I've been fasting uh, certain things. One of the things I cut out the first day of my 40-day was I got rid of all social media. There's two more books over there. There's Don't Fight Each Other for those. That's, we'll have more books. There you go. Uh, I cut out all social media. And friends, when you start to fast, it's a reset. It's like, I just really didn't, I don't need that. That consumes so much of my energy and time. Why do I need that? And you could start to fast, whether it's food, whether it's uh, certain activities. It's great for you to begin to do that. Jesus says this. He says, make this a private thing. But then he moves into probably what the disciples felt. Stop storing stuff. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's why he tells the rich young ruler who says, hey, I've done everything you've asked. What else can I do? He says, sell everything. Friends, you'd be probably better off landing in an Old Testament idea of giving. I just want you to know, because Jesus blows the door off. He basically says, well, sell it all and give it to the poor. You may want to just hover in the Old Testament for a while until your heart kind of changes with that because the New Testament's crazy. It's people selling everything and giving it to the poor. Why does he say this? Is because you can't serve me and treasure. You can't do that. And if you find that your life is consumed by treasure, it's going to kill you. It's not good for you. He then says, could you imagine him looking at his disciples? Disciples, don't worry. Don't worry. He goes on to say, don't worry, I feed the birds. I, I clothe the lilies of the field. That's his whole path, passage in Matthew 6. Don't worry. What can I encourage you to do this morning in response? First, start to give. Guys, if it's not here, I'm okay with that. I really am. I know some of you receive from all the different things that we're trying to do to, to encourage you and equip you in your life spiritually. But I would encourage you to start to give. Mark will be in the, in the 
Connection Lounge. There's so many different ways to give. Start giving faithfully. Try it. Test and see. Taste. Just try to start with 1%. Try it. I had a gal come up to me at the end of the service and just saying that, you know, their spouse didn't want to give. And can I just say that it's, it's a family conversation, that you don't break out of that with your family relationship, but you need to begin to have that dialogue and find the, the hold that it has on you. Begin to start to give faithfully. Second, though, stop trusting, treasure, and worrying. And as Bobby and the team come up and get set up, I, just, I, I think just calling you as a church... Guys, we're going to do the best we can to steward. We're low on cash right now, right? So we had to make some, some upgrades to the facility, and it just is what it is. It's not a ploy to get you to give more. I'm just saying we're going to make adjustments. We have to make adjustments because we have to live in faith. Realize it's an interesting role. We have to trust God's going to do it, and we're always surprised by God. We're always surprised by what God keeps doing. And some pastor asked me the other day, how are you guys doing it? How are you not in debt? How are you not this? And I go, honestly, I don't know. I just know the more we give away, the more that comes in. And that's not really a formula for business, but it's happening. And I, and I want you to know that we're trusting God's going to lead some of your hearts to begin to enter the gift of giving. Father, we pray this morning that you would move us to begin to express our, your lordship in our lives by moving away from treasure and begin to trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.